Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll speak with Megan Giesbrecht and Tia Watson, curators of the Winnipeg Design Festival happening September 26th through 29th. We'll learn about the different events and exhibits during the festival and talk about how Winnipeg fares when it comes to art, music, and design. We'll also speak with Maria Toscano, Provincial Director for Manitoba and Nunavut at the Children's Wish Foundation of Canada. We'll learn about how it grants the wishes of children diagnosed with life-threatening illnesses and about some upcoming fundraising events that are helping to make those fulfilled wishes possible. After that, we'll speak with Chandra Kremsky about the Third and Bird Market that's joining many fests this weekend. Find out why you should come and support your local community. And finally, today we'll speak with Rabin Garbui, coordinator for the Rainbow Community Gardens right here in Winnipeg. We're going to learn about how newcomer and immigrant families are using the community garden as a meeting place and building community in the heart of the city. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert's back. Nolan here with you. How are you doing, buddy? Doing not too bad. How are you? This summer we've kind of traded off just not not being present for the show here and there, but it's good You've to... You've had a couple weeks. I've had a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. Back back to normal, though. Well, I'm sure we'll be together for the rest of uh, 2018, at least in the foreseeable future. Nice and rested, I guess, having a good summer. How was your summer in general, like, overall? It was pretty good. Um... It was nice to get away. Uh, I spent a couple days at the lake, so Ooh, beautiful. Uh, so that was really nice. Always beautiful. That's one of the best parts about Manitoba, and or you know anywhere in this vicinity that's within a couple hours of drive. It's such beautiful countryside, and anyone that comes here says the same. It's really We're so lucky. We really are. Summers here are truly worth putting up with the crazy eight months of you know, barren, freezing landscapes for because it's just so, so good in the summer. Yes, summer's almost over. It's still pretty nice out, but September is here. It is, and we've got Earth, Wind, and Fire to kick us off today with September right here on River City 360.
you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio by Megan Giesbrecht and Tia Watson. They are the curators for the upcoming 7th Annual Winnipeg Design Festival taking place uh, this September 26th to 29th. Uh, welcome, girls. Appreciate Hi, your time. Thanks for having us. It's my pleasure. Uh, so first question, uh, for, for, no, for someone who has never heard of the Winnipeg Design Festival, give them, give them the sort of the basic pitch about what they can expect to find. So the design festival is intended to just open up design to the entire city. It's an accessible to designers, non-designers, professionals, students, um, anyone who's interested in design can come check it out. And it's really just intended to make it as open to everyone as possible to show that design is everywhere in Winnipeg. And it's a festival that is kind of um, produced by Storefront Manitoba as well. Um, and yeah, we're in our seventh year. It's pretty cool. So, like, obviously for people who are in the design world, you guys are doing your master's at the U of M, I understand. Mm -hmm. For people in the design world, obviously there's going to be lots of stuff to see. But for someone who's maybe outside of that world a little bit, what do you hope, to, what do you hope that they walk away with? Uh, I think we hope that they walk away with a new appreciation uh, for design. So one of our biggest events is kind of um, combining uh, live music, fashion, architectural installations, um, uh, furniture design, and we're kind of hoping to bring a bunch of different demographics and groups together um, and kind of re-expose them to different elements of design. Cool. You talk about re-exposing, I understand. Tell me a little bit about the theme of this year's event that we were talking a little bit before we went on air. So this year the festival is called RE. Every year the festival takes on a different theme. And for us this year, we wanted to think about how we could reimagine, re-inspire. Um, RE signifies the diversity of design that can be found within the city. And we're focusing on void or mono-use spaces within the city. So it could be alleyways, parking lots, Places that you wouldn't normally expect to find design, finding ways to inhabit those spaces cool. and reimagine them and see them in a new light. I'm guessing mono use means one, like th areas that have one use, but what is the void use space? What does that mean? We think that void spaces within the city play a really crucial part within design. What's so an example of one? Yeah. So it could be an alleyway. Mm -hmm. um, the mono use spaces would, we're looking a lot, up, a lot at parking lots. Um, but yeah, alleyway, parking lots. I heard there's like a like a pop up drink or a bar bar that's happening on the t on the rooftop yeah. of the Forks parking lot. What what are some other so sort of cool events that are going to be taking place throughout the week? So Reroof is going to be our big finale event on Saturday, the 29th, from 4 p.m. till 2 a.m. And that's actually the same night as Nuit Blanche. We're partnering with them to really activate the whole city. Cool. That night, the exchange, the Forks. Um, so that event is going to be on the top of the Forks Parkade, which is a mono-use space right. for cars. And um, we're going to fill it with all kinds of installations, music, fashion, and all within the proportion of parking stalls. Oh, see okay. how you can use those dimensions of 9 by 18 feet in a new way. Mm-hmm. Really? Tell me a little bit about the Richard Floyd event, because he's going to be coming in and talking about uh, how cities are sort of designed and everything like that. Like, how, do, how does he come into the world of design and architecture? Yeah, so Richard Florida is a professor at the U of T, and he is an urban theorist as well. He has two books. Um, the 
rise of the creative class and the new urban crisis. Okay. Um, so he studies cities quite extensively and creates theories um, and teaches on how to best develop cities, I guess, mm. in the most economical way. So he's going to be speaking on sep- Thursday, September 27th at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Um, and that starts at 7 p.m. Um, and we've got tickets available on our website as well for that event. And that's winnipegdesignfestival.net, all one word? Correct, that's yeah. Cool. cool, so we're about three weeks away now, if I'm doing my math correctly. Mm-hmm. How panicked are you guys when you're talking about uh, <laughs> preparing for everything and planning everything? Are you on schedule? What, what's that been like? It's coming up really fast, <laughs> our countdown in our calendars. Um, it's been a lot of fun to plan, though. We've gotten to meet some amazing designers in the city in the process. For sure. How many, pe- how many people are involved in total? Like hundreds? Oh, wow. We're talking... We have, probably close we to have that. over 40 companies right now involved in some way, either sponsorship, collaboration, um, invited artists, invited, invited food vendors, everything like that. Um, Students, volunteers. Yeah. It's really a great four days where everyone comes together and, and creates something um, that's super unexpected in a lot of ways um, in pop-ups of the city. For sure. So this is the seventh annual. How, how, how do you think the appetite for events like this has grown in the city? Like people are starting to care about how things are set up in mm-hmm. the city, you know, whereas that might not have been on the forefront of people's minds a few years ago. Like yeah. how have you seen the transition since you guys sort of got into this world? Well, we're actually both not from Winnipeg. Okay. We're from Calgary. Okay. And we came to Winnipeg three, two, three years ago now Mm -hmm. for the architecture program. Cool. So coming from an outsider's point of view, we find that the Winnipeg design, art, music culture is really fantastic and there's a lot of vibrancy in the city for it. We find too that uh, the community is so welcoming and so passionate that it's hard to not kind of gain that enthusiasm about design in Winnipeg. Um, And I think the curators that have come before us and have kind of started this festival and built it to what it is today have done an amazing job in promoting design throughout the city as well yeah, yeah for we've sure. had some amazing mentors along the way for this why is this important for, why is this festival important for winnipeggers why do you think that having this in the forefront of people's minds is important for the average joe walking down the street i think it's important because design is is really everywhere um it exists even when you don't notice it there's design in architecture, in furniture design, in the clothes you wear, um, even the streets you walk down, design has played a part in it. And um, bringing that to people's attention just to recognize it and, and it gives the whole city a voice as well to show what they think works, what they think doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's not left just to maybe architects to say, but there's a whole lot of people that can have a voice in it then as well. For sure. Yeah, I guess the more people are educated on what mm-hmm. design, what impacts design actually has in their everyday lives, the more they can be um, educated on the decisions that are made on a larger scale, I would imagine. Yeah, and that's what the festival really tries to accomplish as well, is that it's not just for designers to learn more about design, but it's really for everybody to learn about and have a voice in. So there's Richard Floyd on the 27th. It kicks off on the 26th. Where can people find out more information and, and just figure out everything they want to do on these four or five days? So we're going to have all of our events up on our website, winnipegdesignfestival.net. Um, and then we are also 
announcing starting yesterday, announcing all of our events and our collaborators through our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. Okay, and what's the what are the addresses on that? So our Instagram and our Twitter is WPG Design Fest. Cool. And so we're posting on that almost every day leading up to the festival to announce everything that's very going cool. on. Very cool. So at Winnipeg, at WPG Design Fest and WinnipegDesignFestival.net for all the information. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff to do, probably more than we can name in, in just <laughs> this five-minute conversation. Uh, but thank you girls for talking to me today. It's really interesting to hear, and uh, it's cool to see this sort of an event being put on in Winnipeg because, uh, you know, we're, we're a big city, too, yeah. sometimes, you know? It's not just a small-town feel. So congratulations Thank on I, what I assume will be a wonderful event, and I really That's appreciate your time for talking for. to us today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Megan Giesbrecht and Tia Watson are the curators, uh, architecture students doing their master's at the University of W... or, sorry, University of Manitoba for the 7th Annual Winnipeg Design Festival happening September 26th to 29th. Uh, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Megan and Tia for speaking with us today. And as we mentioned, if you'd like more information about the Winnipeg Design Festival, or if you'd like tickets to the Richard Florida Speaking Event, go to winnipegdesignfestival.net. Again, that's winnipegdesignfestival.net. Coming up next, the Children's Wish Foundation of Canada is doing incredible work helping grant the wishes of children who are diagnosed with life-threatening illnesses. And after our next musical break, we will speak with Maria Toscano of the Children's Wish Foundation of Canada about how their organization is able to grant these wishes, so stay tuned for that. Before we get to that, though, here is Bobby Curtola with Dream Wishes, right here on River City 360. Falling to you, your dream wishes 
to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined via telephone by Maria Toscano. She is the Provincial Director for Manitoba and Nunavut at the Children's Wish Foundation. Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the Children's Wish Foundation here in Manitoba and how it helps grant wishes for kids here in Manitoba. The Children's Wish Foundation of Canada is uh, the largest and only all-Canadian wish-granting organization, and we uh, grant wishes to children who are affected by a a life-threatening illness, and they are between the ages of 3 and 17. So we've been around for 34 years, so it's not very long as far as charities are concerned, but um, during that time, we have granted over 25,000 uh, wishes across Canada alone. So that's three wishes each and every day, all year long. So that's a, quite an accomplishment. That's amazing. And and I'm wondering if you can speak to the process and exactly how does a wish go from being a wish to, to actually coming true and being granted? We work very closely with the medical community in each province and we establish these um, relationships with, uh, with the medical people and they are primarily our referral sources because they're the ones that are seeing the children um, more often in, in their circumstances. So, But we've also received referrals from perhaps other family members, neighbors, um, teachers, or anyone who is in the child, the sick child's life. And so once the referral is made to us, the parents of the child definitely need to be advised that a referral has been made to the Children's Wish, and and then we take it from there. We we call the family and we speak with them, and if it's um, the condition that needs immediate attention right away, um, we try to turn a wish around as quickly as possible. Or if the family, if the child is currently going through treatment, then the family may choose to wait um, for a few years until the treatment is over, and the children have up to five years to um, to take their wish. And at that time, if they're not able to do so, then we uh, it's probably because of a med- the condition has gotten worse, or um, so then we just kind of talk with the medical people and um, extend the time limit for for the child to take the wish. In many cases, once the um, information is received in our office, then we, we will be talking with the children directly to have their wish expressed to us. We definitely don't want any coaching by the parents. Um, however, we, we really encourage the children to make up their own mind, and the whole family is included in the wish um, that the child makes. So whether it's a trip um, anywhere that they want to travel, whether it's um, perhaps meeting a celebrity, um, or if it's some type of a special item wish that they have been looking forward to for a while, those are kind of the three categories where the wishes fall into. 
And then it basically depends on um, how quickly they want their wish. And we can, uh, with the, the, the generosity of our donors, we are very eager to, to spend their money, of course, when it's donated and make sure that these children's wishes are coming true as quickly as possible. Tell us about the impact. What kind of impact can these wishes have for children who are dealing with a serious illness? So normally, you know, once the child is diagnosed, um, the whole family is affected by it, of course. Their their whole means of uh, their day-to-day normality is changed, and now the, the full concentration is on this child and trying to do whatever possible to ensure that they are taken care of and that they are provided with the means to, to certainly uh, move the child forward in the positive way. So a lot of time is spent in the hospitals, a lot of time is spent at appointments, uh, dealing with different medical people. And these children really, they're in a different world that perhaps you and I can only imagine. So I think when we come in, we um, obviously, our organization does not raise funds for research, which is very important at the same time. However, we do raise money to provide something positive for not only this sick child, but for the whole family to look forward to something that is is going to interrupt what their normality has become. So, you know, with, with a wish, it is something just so positive that they, they have something great to look forward to. Like they know that at the end of their treatment, you know, in a few months, they are going to be on a plane flying to Disney World or to wherever their their wish was. So we feel that what we can offer these families is that moment of hope and for making memories and um, and just having that that positive impact on the whole family for them to look forward to. And all of these wishes are, are made possible through the generosity of, of donations. And there are a couple of uh, fundraising events that are coming up throughout the month of September. On the uh, the weekend of September 14th to 16th is the Slow Pitch for a Wish tournament. This is the second annual uh, Slow Pitch for a Wish tournament. And uh, it's a complete initiative from QX104. The team with the highest amount of money raised gets to play with the celebrity team. Last year, being the first year, was very successful. They donated over $65,000 to us. So that alone um, granted almost seven wishes. So we were thrilled about that. And we are excited to have this partnership within this community. That's fantastic. And on September 21st is the Heroes Challenge at the Forks, with uh, each team raising money for the Children's Foundation. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that event and and what's involved in the Heroes Challenge. So the Heroes Challenge came about because we consider our children to be heroes. We also consider our donors and our supporters to be heroes. So we, we came up with this concept that a Heroes Challenge is an event where these various teams participate and they raise funds for a particular child's wish, which is going to be happening. So each team that has signed up, we partnered them up with a child whose wish is about to, to happen, and their goal is to raise the average cost of that wish. 
you know, and they do this in various ways, either collecting pledges or doing just little events at their office or workplace. And, and then they come out on the one day, which is the 21st of September. They come out, will be at the Forks in front of the Scotiabank stage. And they participate in these different challenges. And, you know, we give them a cape to make them look the part as a superhero. And they can, you know, kind of come in costume as they like and uh, participate in various challenges. And I can't reveal those challenges because they're kept a secret until event day. You know, at the same time, all all is in fun. And again, they participate with their the children on their team. And it just kind of gives it that personal touch when they actually get to meet the child whose wish is about to be granted and they're going to be responsible for granting it. So we're excited about this event. It's a lot of fun. We still have teams that can now participate. If anybody wanted to sign up, they can certainly get a hold of us and we'd be happy to sign them up and partner them with one of the children whose wish is about to be granted. Wonderful. And if any of our listeners would like to take part in the Heroes Challenge on September 21st or learn more about the foundation or any of its other upcoming events uh, that we've talked about today, who can they contact and where can they go for more information? Well, they can call us at our office at 204-945-9474 or just go on our website at www.childrenswish.ca and click on Manitoba when you're at the landing page and it'll take you to our site. Thank you so much, uh, Maria Toscano. She's the Provincial Director for Manitoba and Nunavut at the Children's Wish Foundation uh, for speaking with me today about uh, the foundation and all these wonderful events. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for this opportunity. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we're going to learn about ManyFest that's happening this weekend. There's a third and bird market happening, and we're going to learn all about it from Chandra Kremsky right after our next musical break. So we just heard about the Children's Wish Foundation of Canada. How about When You Wish Upon a Star by Neil Diamond right here on RC360. When a star is born They possess a gift or two One of them is this They have the power To make a wish come true When you wish Upon a star Makes no difference who you are, anything your heart desires will come to you. And if your heart is in your dreams, No request is too extreme When you wish upon a star As dreamers do Fate is kind To those who love 
Welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sunny Promolo, and with me today is Chandra Kremsky, co-founder of Third and Bird Events. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Chandra. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be a part of it. As many of you know, ManyFest will be happening this weekend from September 7th to 9th at Memorial Park and Broadway. Uh, this year is going to be extra special, partly because the Third and Bird Market will be partnering with ManyFest to provide an even greater experience. But before we get to that, could you tell us about Third and Bird and how it all got started? I would love to. Third and Bird started 10 years ago. We used uh, a church at the corner of Maine and Sutherland. And it started out as a platform to just give artists and crafters in the community a platform to sell their goods. And in exchange, we took all the proceeds and gave it back to the community, primarily the arts community. We never imagined it to grow into anything crazy. We were just happy to have like a few hundred people come out and support the event. But each time we did, our market kept growing bigger and bigger, and we realized we were really tapping into something new and special in the city and and there was a deep need for people to shop local and and meet their maker. And so as we continued to grow, it uh, turned into so much more. And so that's where Third and Bird was born. Absolutely. And what I love about Third and Bird is there's a lot of giving. Um, You also had something to do with the Nepalese Women's Co-op. How was that involved? Yeah. So as we grew and it became so much more work that we could no longer just donate every single dollar back into charity. We changed the structure of it and still giving back to the community, but also making it sustainable for us um, as a full-time job because that's what it turned into. And so we partnered with a women's co-op in Nepal where no administration fees are kept and 100% of the proceeds are donated. And that felt really good to us. And it really fit well because Our whole philosophy as Third and Bird is to know your maker, to support local, and to help these mom-and-pop businesses flourish. And this Women's Co-op in Nepal does the same thing, but it's a global reach. So it takes women that are at risk within the sex slave industry or in homelessness or in just really difficult circumstances They get given a sewing machine and they get sent to tailoring school for three months. At the end of that program, they're employable or they're able to start their own micro business. And that's such a beautiful concept. And so 
we often say it's a full circle event when you attend Third and Bird. You're supporting the local community, but you're also supporting the global community. And last year, we were able to give and donate over $35,000 to the Women's Co-op. If you aren't aware, Third and Bird markets usually have one in the spring and another one around Christmas time, and they're held at the Hudson's Bay downtown. Yes, we use this beautiful, historic, iconic building of the Hudson's Bay, and there's 80,000 square feet of it in the basement, and we transform that whole space into this market wonderland. It's huge. When you get in, you get that Instagram wall that you can take pictures with. And there's just so many different vendors when you go and check that out. But you're also uh, at the Forks every once in a while. Yeah, we love to do our big markets, as you mentioned, in spring and fall. But it's also really important to us to continue to give to the community in a lot of different ways. And, you know, in our markets, you know, there is an admission fee, but that's not always accessible for everybody. And we like to consider ourselves an accessible market. And so we love doing our pop-ups with the Forks or Folklorama and different partnerships because these are free. You can still um, experience a handful of like our makers and get a smaller version um, of our bigger market experience. But it makes it uh, really inclusive for all demographics. Yeah, so for those who want to partake in Third and Bird Markets and Manifest, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. So uh, how did you get involved with uh, Manifest? Yeah, so when we moved over to the Bay downtown of last year, uh, Downtown Biz was a great um, partner that just came around us and really welcomed us into the downtown area as it was a new territory uh, for us. And so their whole team were just so supportive in giving us resources and anything that we needed as we were learning, you know, this new area. And as that relationship evolved, you know, they contacted us and let us know that with ManyFest, you know, they're interested in elevating the event and giving it a fresh new look and a fresh new take. And considering that, you know, we are known for putting on very large scale markets, they just felt that we would be a great fit in addition to ManyFest. And, and we felt the same way and we're so excited to be partnering with them this year. What kind of vendors can people expect that haven't been to a third and bird market? They're going to get a little bit of everything. We always say it's almost impossible to come to a market and walk away empty handed because at the end of the day, your tummy always talks and there's always great food to be to be had. So we have um, anywhere from food, like local food producers, you know, honey, uh, canned goods, uh, delicious desserts, uh, hand-poured chocolates. And then, you know, you can move into the homewares, so home decor, prints, pottery, bath and body. There's stuff for guys, you know, with beard oil and self-care. And then, you know, we have stuff for people who have families, whether they have children, so stuff for for the little ones. And then for those who have their fur babies, you know, we love, you know, our animals too. And so if you have a pet in your life, we have stuff for them as well. And uh, yeah, like it's always just so much fun when you walk through the market because each maker you go to, it's a new experience. They have a great story of how they became the business or, you know, what they make. And getting to know them and have that interaction makes that purchase that you're taking home so much more special because you know the backstory behind it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of knowing the backstory, I know one of the vendors that you have there, I believe it's uh, Julie Peterson Design. She actually started a treehouse project fund for her kids where her kids really wanted a treehouse. So uh, what she did was she got them to start sewing these little stuff bags together and sell them to be able to afford that treehouse and to teach them the value of a dollar. They eventually raised enough for that treehouse. And now uh, in order to continue that giving, they will be selling some of those stuff bags as well to help provide support to different family and children in need. Absolutely. And that's a great example of um, knowing the backstory and hearing that because once you hear that, you, you get that emotional connection, whether you relate to it in your own life of like wanting to have that tree house as a child or just being a big kid yourself and just, you know, loving the whole idea of like working hard and, and fundraising and, you know, uh, you know, understanding the value of a dollar. And so when we select our makers to be a part of a market, it's not a first come first serve each maker has to let us know um, a little bit about themselves, uh, give us a backstory of their product and their company, and supply us with photos. And it is a juried process, and we have a panel of seven jury members who come from all different culture backgrounds and business backgrounds um, and artistic ones to help us select who is going to be the best fit for our market. And uh Knowing stories like that just makes it so much more special. And I think that's really what has set Third and Bird Market apart over the years. I'm really, really looking forward to uh, this year's Manifest, especially with Third and Bird Market joining. And uh, as usual, you'll have the food truck wars, the lakeside lounge. There's going to be music and entertainment, movies in the park. There's the electric donkey run. Like there's just so many different things that are happening during this uh, festival. And Third and Bird just makes it that much better. Again, thank you, Chandra, for uh, coming down and speaking with us today. Is there anything that you would like to add? Is there any upcoming events or anything for Third and Bird? Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me today. It's been lovely speaking to you. I will just mention that, you know, this weekend with ManyFest, um, it's a three-day festival, but our Third and Bird Market will be set up Saturday and Sunday. So if you're hoping to catch the market, you'll definitely want to come either Saturday from 11 to 9 or Sunday 11 to 6. And if you uh, don't catch us there, we can't wait to see everybody November 24th, 25th, and 26th for our uh, 10-year anniversary of our Christmas market. So we're going to have a lot of exciting things this year planned for that market. You don't want to miss that one. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Chandra. All the best to you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at ManyFest and the Third and Bird Market. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sunny. Up next, we're going to learn about a very cool initiative that's helping newcomers and immigrants feel a sense of belonging and community pride at the Rainbow Community Gardens right here in Winnipeg. Raymond Garbui joins us in studio to tell us all about it after we hear Rainbow Melody by Bert Camfort right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in studio by Raymond Garbui. He is the coordinator for the Rainbow Community Gardens here in Winnipeg. Raymond, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Nolan, for having me here. Well, oh, it's our pleasure to have you. We wanted to talk about the Rainbow Community Garden Project because it's a really cool uh, project that I hadn't heard about until recently, and I understand it's your 10-year anniversary. You started way back in 2008, so maybe just give me a rundown of what the what the project is and what it all encompasses. Yeah, Rainbow Community Gardens is, uh, as you said, um, is a community uh, initiatives initiative that started in 2008 in June, and um, the aim of the that community garden. Uh, from the um, incep- in- inception was um, to find a place where uh, newcomers, it means uh, new immigrants, uh, refugee families um, can get together to interact with um, their peer Canadian-born families uh, while producing food uh, for themselves. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously there's it all ties together with socializing and food security and everything. How important is food security to to new families and newcomers and immigrants? Yeah, food security uh, for the new immigrants and new uh, newcomer families. I think it's um, uh, as important as uh, shelter. I mean, um, um, house because. Um, uh, Newcomer families do spend um, about the same amount of money they have been they spend uh, every month on rent because they are usually um, a big family families with a uh, uh, big number of members and, and therefore ki- kids get hungry right yeah, you gotta kids feed em. get hungry so that's why uh, for me I think. Um, uh, food security within uh, newcomer families is very important because when um, they don't have, um, per, uh, I can say, better access to uh, nutritious food, then it comes with uh, all other consequences, which uh, are obesity, uh, type 2 diabetes, um, anger and all this that uh, makes them not feel very welcome. So the Rainbow Community Garden was created by a group yeah. of immigrants and refugees. Um, wh- why do you think? How do you think that that helps when it's you know people working themselves and do and putting in the work and and really integrating themselves into into Canada by putting in hard work and and making sure all this comes together themselves. For uh, the newcomers to get together to. Um, interact and growing their own food, it gives them a sense of belonging because many of uh, the rainbow, like majority of the rainbow community garden participants are uh, former refugees, uh, families uh, uh, that uh, went through civil wars and uh, difficulties um, in their countries and then who transited uh, uh, by the refugee camps. And when they lived in refugee camps, uh, they lost their nationalities, they, their citizenship, uh, they lost their um, belongings, they lost their um, lands and everything. So it's a completely uh, lost in terms of uh, who they, 
who they are. Right. And coming here, getting a piece of land that uh, they uh, work on every year uh, gives them a sense of um, like uh, recovery of what they used to have. Yeah. And also it's a um, healing process for them, for many who do share history, <coughs> stories uh, from their... Uh, uh, bad memories from the, the war situation For or sure. refugee camp uh, lives that are very difficult. Well, they say gardening is very therapeutic too. So like the act of just planting your own food and, and really harvesting everything, it's probably makes you feel, a, a so it soothes you a little bit and, and calms you, you know, a little bit. Yeah, you are, very, you are right because uh, actually connection with uh, the earth uh, mm -hmm. is uh, very important. I can uh, mention one example of... Um, uh, the elder um, at the Rainbow Community Garden. Uh, he comes from India, and um, he, at one point, he told me that um, he went to his uh, family doctor, and to and then uh, his family doctor asked him after taking parameters and everything on him. He said, "Oh, what happened? What have you been doing lately?" Uh, so his name is Gary. So Gary said, uh, uh, oh, what happened? Uh, so he got scared. Then the doctor said, no, it's a good news. Oh. Your numbers have completely changed. So I was wondering if uh, uh, you have been doing something different from what uh, you used to do. And he said, uh, yeah, I joined um, community garden. And he said he has been um, gardening uh, um, for about two months now. And he said, his uh, family doctor said, you know what, don't stop gardening anymore. Continue and then uh, we'll see what will happen. And he told me that, um, and I have been uh, checking on him from time to time to find out how he has been doing. And he told me that um, they took him off uh, of some medicines, of so some tablets that uh, he used to take because he's uh, suffering from high blood pressure mm. and diabetes. Yep. So it's, um, yeah, as you said, uh, gardening is very therapeutic. Uh, good, for the, good for the mind, body, and soul, I guess, hey? Exactly. So I understand you have a big fall celebration coming up. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, celebration. Uh, every year from, food mat uh, from um, uh, Rainbow Community Gardens, uh, we do work with uh, our partners and sponsors like um, um, uh, Knox United Church in Central Park, Food Matters, and um, CEDA, mm -hmm. Community Education Development Association, uh, my employer, which has been um, allowing me uh, some percentage of my work time to uh, continue helping with the Rainbow Community Garden. We do come together and we organize the um, um, planting feast. Mm. The planting feast is the one that um, is held in uh, June, okay. uh, which gathers all the uh, project participants. And we get we usually get an elder from the um, indigenous community oh, to nice. come and to say prayers and to bless the Beautiful. land before we start. And so the upcoming one is um, called the Harvest Feast. Ooh. which happens uh, in the end of the growing season. And that's to say um, thank you to the creator for the good harvest and everything. So uh, all participants um, come together with um, their um, uh, neighbors, their friends, and then 
it's a kind of potluck potluck that uh, uh, allows us to allows us to share whatever we have uh, grown. And what better than eating fresh food right out of the garden that you built yourself, right? Uh, like definitely. nothing better. Exactly. So what date was that again? Uh, it's coming on September 22nd. Oh, beautiful. And yeah, so we have been working on it. That'll be a lot of fun. So if someone w out there was listening to this right now and they thought that this would be something they'd want to get involved with if they love gardening or if they just wanted to help out, where can they find more information? Uh, information, they can um, find it by um, emailing me uh, Raymond at um cedar c e d a uh w p g dot org okay raymond or at cedar winnipeg wpg dot org dot org okay or they can also email the um, immigrant integration farming co-op uh which is uh, the organization um running the rainbow community gardens uh, with the support from cedar and their uh, email address is i i f c c dot co-op dot um, gmail dot or mm, dot com dot com awesome yes. so i i f c c uh -huh. dot i f c c dot coop dot coop yes okay. c o o p at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us about the uh, Rainbow Community Gardens. It sounds like a beautiful space and. Uh, Congratulations! Have fun at the uh, at the fall supper and at the uh, at the harvest dinner that you guys are having. I really appreciate your time, Raymond. Raymond Garbui is the coordinator for the Raymond Community Gardens. Okay, uh, thank you. You are very welcome, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity that you uh, provided me with uh, today to um, talk about the Rainbow Community Garden, and um, my uh, sincere um, recognitions. Um, sincere gratitude go to um, the Winnipeg Foundation on behalf of uh, all the 324 families, newcomer families uh, uh, involved in the Rainbow Community Gardens uh, within the city, to the periphery of the city and uh, also outside the city of Winnipeg. And um, we would like to say a big thank you to the Winnipeg Foundation because the uh, Rainbow Community Garden project uh, would have stopped uh, uh, a few years ago if Winnipeg Foundation's uh, support uh, has not been in. Mm -hmm. And the project has been receiving an ongoing um, uh, support from the Winnipeg Foundation. And hopefully this, that will continue. Otherwise, the project will for sure. We'll finish, well, I'm sure, yeah. Well, thanks for talking to us today. We really appreciate okay. your time, Raymond. You are very welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan. We've got time for some more music before we say goodbye today, so here is Brooke Benton with So Many Ways right here on River City 360. Your lips on mine are soft as dew So divine Your eyes are like The skies of blue And stars that brightly shine Your voice is sweet Like violins And warm like summer I love you, I love you, and oh, 
heart, you're everything I ever hoped to hold. A smile from you lights up my heart and brightens That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on our website. RiverCity360.org is the address. Again, that's RiverCity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And as you know, we love to hear your feedback about the show. So if there's a song that you would like to hear during uh, during RC360, if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future program, or if you'd just like to say hello and tell us how we're doing, Give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Facebook by searching River City 360 on Facebook and at River City 360 on Twitter as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Mm-hmm.